Our first reading is at 17, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 10. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, They dragged Jason and some other believers before the city official, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And our next reading is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together and thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for making yourself known through your word. Help us tonight as we uh, read your word and as we um, learn about uh, the Thessalonian Christians and what it means for them to know you as well. So help us to to know you and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, Welcome again. I think I've asked some of you before uh, what... First, 
brought you into this building? I think some of the answers were uh, you, you were just walking down the road and you saw this beautiful building and you thought, huh, I want to come in and check, check this, this building out. And some of you basically had no choice. Your, your parents or your friends dragged you into this building and then you just got stuck here. And then I've heard from an, another lady last, uh, two weeks ago, and she said, oh, I've just Googled online and found St. John's had more five-star ratings. So I thought, well, I'll just come here. Um, but I guess I'm more interested in why do you keep coming back to St. John's? And what brings you back Sunday after Sunday? Verse 7 uh, in our First Thessalonian chapter. Uh, Paul says, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Would you consider St. John's a model church? Scary question to ask. If so, uh, in what ways? If not, what do you think is missing? So, Corinne already introduced the, se the sermon series, so I'm, uh, thank thanks for saving me one minute to introduce the sermon series. Uh, but you also have heard Alex reading from Acts chapter 17. Paul and Silas were there in Thessalonica, over three Sabbaths. So that's um, maybe a little more than three weeks, but definitely less than four. And during those three or so weeks, a large number of people joined them. How exciting was that? But the excite that, that excitement did, didn't last long. Soon, those who were jailers of Paul and Silas uh, started a riot. They dragged Jason and some, some believers to stand before the city officials. And Jason was accused of welcoming Paul and Silas. And then Paul and Silas had to do a runner because of the pers persecution. It's a, bit, it's a bit like, say, if some of you moved into Hempstead and you decided to come to St. John's and God blessed you so much. Over three weeks coming to St. John's, every person you, you've spoken to Maybe your mates at school, maybe it's your colleague at workplace, or your neighbors. Every single one were all excited talking to you about Jesus, and they decided they all decided to, to read the Bible with you. It was so exciting. And then this guy, Aaron, came along. He, he is his jealous guy. So he, he badmouthed you and he falsely accused you for stupid things. And then you were forced to leave. Hempstead, and ended up in Aberdeen in Scotland. That's about how far they had to run. Uh, I mean, sorry, they, they ran a short distance and they ended up in Corinth. So that's how far they, they ended up at. Uh, so back in those days, you didn't have emails or mobile phones. So all the people whom you led to St. John's, you had no idea how, how they were doing. And the only way you'd know anything was through words of mouth. And that was exactly what Paul felt back then. He worried sick about those new Thessalonian believers. It was so unbearable for him. To, the, to, to a point, he had to ask Timothy to go back to Th Thessalonica to check things out, to see how the, those um, Thessalonian believers were doing. So this letter was written with the purpose 
to encourage those believers. Shortly after, Timothy returned and brought back um, his first report, telling Paul how things um, were doing. And the funky thing, though, was that in verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul described them as a model to all believers. How on earth did that church in Thessalonica become a model church, or possibly the model church, in such a short time? And in fact, the Thessalonian church did not receive any bad rep at all. Not a single bad review. How is that even possible? So we're going to look at what's true about the Thessalonian believers and how those things relate to us. Uh, firstly, to be a model church, the Thessalonian believers understood that they were chosen by God, rescued by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, for those of us who identify ourselves as Christians, have you ever asked yourself, or if anyone asked you that question, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you will spend the eternity with God? How sure are you that you will go to heaven? Uh, in my first year at university, I got asked that question. Even though I grew up in, in a Christian family, I wasn't so sure if I would go to heaven if I was to die then. Uh, verse 5, Paul says, Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Uh, to be honest, if people asked, asked me to share the gospel back then, I don't think I can confidently explain it. On the one hand, I, was, I, I knew I, as a Christian, I wanted to share the gospel. I, want, I wanted people to know Jesus. But I don't think I can explain that. I, I, I was afraid to talk about my faith. And on, on the other hand, I simply don't know what to say or how to say it. I probably do what most Christians do, uh, simply just invite people to the church and let the church ministers do their job, you know, just drag people over to the church. Uh, in Acts 17, the writer told us that Paul, uh, don't worry about flipping it back, I'll just read it. Paul reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And that Messiah is Jesus. I'm pretty sure the gist of the message Paul preached was that God created the heaven and the earth. He created men and women. He wanted each person to enjoy a personal relationship with him. But then we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of sin is death. Not only just a physical death, but all sinners will be eternal, eternally separated from God. And people at the time in, in the first century uh, be they Jews or non-Jews or people from any culture around. I think most culture, most ethnic background will have this concept, this idea of uh, some, some sort of sacrificial rituals. People understood what sacrifices do. 
uh, people understood that an animal which was killed, its blood that was spilled was spilled instead of their own blood. Because anything you've done wrong, your punishment, that, that's animals that substitute. And it's interesting that all religions had that idea. And so animals die so that they, they didn't have to die. And Paul, Paul will be explaining and proving that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to suffer on our behalf to be the sacrifice that pays the death penalty for us and satisfy God, God's wrath. And when Jesus comes again at the time of final judgment, we stand guiltless before God. We are saved from the coming wrath. Uh, the truth is, God's gift is for all. He wants all to, to be saved. But the choice is yours. The choice is ours. If you don't want saving, he wouldn't force you. So supposedly, according to what the Bible says, anyone who believes are all 100% saved. Right? So if you were to die tonight, you should, if you are a believer, you should all be 100% sure that you can go to heaven. Uh, two years ago, I received a le letter in the mail from HMRC, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. The letter accused me from having undeclared income from overseas. And I was demanded to take action to declare those incomes. And the letter tells me that if, uh, for, for any unpaid tax from those undeclared incomes, I might be required to pay a penalty of up to 200% of the tax due. And I freaked out. Uh, I freaked out for a whole day. And I, I did research all over the internet, Google everywhere, trying to find information on how to file those tax returns. Um, to this day, I firmly believed that the system was there to, was rigged to make it super hard for people, for ordinary, ordinary people like you and I to, to understand how things work so that they could make money out of you. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, eventually I gave up after a whole day of researching and decided to finally, for the first time in my life, I probably should just pay someone to worry, worry about my income and taxes. So I called my friend, an accountant friend, explained the situation and asked him to, uh, to be my accountant for, for legal advices. And he said, no. <laughs> and he posed, posed for, for a while and he explained why, because he was working for a firm, he couldn't be my personal accountant. And it's very naughty for, for him to, to do that, to freak me out. Uh, but he explained to me that there's nothing I needed to worry about. He told me how that letter is a form, it's actually a form of spam letter. Uh, a threat letter from the government, believe it or not. Um, that letter was sent to multiple uh, immigrants or people who might, have, uh, who might be tax residents of another country. So the let letter was designed to try to catch people off guard and to put, their put, put fear in people's hearts to see if anyone would fess up and to pay those taxes. And therefore, that letter wasn't targeted at me personally. That's what my friend said. And also, he assured me, because there was some sort of 
tax agreement between New Zealand and, and the UK. Nothing that I've been doing was outside of that agreement. And therefore, none of the threats from the letter applied to me. Can you, can you see my point? I was living in fear for a whole day. I thought I was, I was in deep trouble. But after hearing the reassurance from, from someone who knows the stuff, all the fear was gone. One of the problems for most Christians is the lack of knowledge. Uh, because we know so little, we, we ended up being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Um, lack of knowledge puts us in position of doubting or even believing in lies. And that often hindered, hindered us from growing and from moving forward. When you have a deep conviction that you really, really do belong in God's family, that your heavenly father is the creator of heaven and earth, that it's, it's not our works or performance that earned us God's favor. Eternal life is a gift of God. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. And that after God adopted us, uh, we've become children of God. And he, uh, he is our father. And this legal status will never change. He will never abandon you nor forsake you. And that Jesus is not only our Lord and King, but now he's our friend. And many, many more things God had promised uh, in the Bible just to give us assurance and all those promises were all true for, for anyone who believes in Christ, even if you don't realize they were there, or, or you might just have forgotten about it, or even if someone tried to tell you lies to make you doubt about those truths, those, truth, those facts will never change. But you see, the more we know what God has done for us, the deeper our conviction would grow. And the more unshakable we would be, and the more confidence we will have in Christ. And therefore, the more we would enjoy our relationship with God. Uh, but it doesn't automatically happen like, um, like Neo in the film The Matrix, where you can just plug uh, a cable into your head, upload some program, and suddenly you have all the knowledges. Like he said, I know Kung Fu. I wish I could say, I know my Bible. <coughs> uh, it, it doesn't work like that for us. We would have to daily come to God, come to God's uh, word. And thankfully, God's word and his promises weren't only passed down to us just through the written word, but also with power. When we believed, we were given the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity God himself who dwells in our lives. We're powered by God's own spirit. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit who empowers us. Unlike those battery adverts, uh, no matter how long those batteries last, they eventually run out. But the power from the Holy Spirit will never run dry. So we, we're chosen by God 
rescued by Jesus and powered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, not only do the Thessalonian believers have deep conviction of what they believe, secondly, to be a model church, it's all about family business. Those are all AI-generated pictures. I had to ditch one because the mom had 10 fingers on one hand. Uh, <laughs> in, in verse 4, in verse 4, Paul calls the Thessalonian Christians brothers and sisters loved by God. If you look down at the footnote at the bottom of the page, it tells us that the Greek word for brothers and sisters uh, refers to believers as part of God's family. When I say it's all about family business, it's because in a family, you are all, all in, it, in it together. Within a family business, there's no trade secrets. Unlike the master, sh master chef in a restaurant who would never reveal his secret recipes, uh, his secret ingredients to you, or the grandmaster in a martial art dojo who would never pass down his deadliest move to his students. Um, within a healthy family business, there's no trade secrets. There's nothing to hide. You want your family members to, to have all the knowledge you have to share all the benefits and profits. And you want everyone to thrive together. Verse 6, Paul says, during the time when he was with the Thessalonian brothers and sisters, they became imitators of Paul and his mission team. And by imitating Paul and, and Tim, they were imitating the Lord because Paul and his team were also imitating the Lord themselves. So the Thessalonian believers were soaking it all up, learning from Paul and the team, learning from the scriptures. They were all in it together. They rejoiced together when the Lord's message rang out and their faith in God has become known everywhere. Uh, let me read from verse 2 and 3 again for you. Paul writes, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, firstly, your work. This word, work, is basically the things you do, uh, your deed, your deeds. So in, in this context, context, the things that you do as a result of your faith. Like you set aside your time to read your Bible every day, uh, you sing praises to God, you pray, and you travel all the way to come to church to worship God with fellow believers, etc., etc. So those are the, the, the works. And quite often the, with, with work, you can ex expect outcome. And you see, the more, the more you spend time reading your Bible, the more you get to know God. It's very straightforward. The more people you talk to about Jesus, the more gospel seed you sow. And you get more people hearing about Jesus. So then your labor, uh, prompted by, by love, takes you to a different level. Uh, labor is different from, from work. Labor is a state of discomfort 
for you. Uh, it's to engage in activities that are burdensome. Like coming home after a long day at your workplace, you just want to put your feet up, sip a glass of wine while you watch some Netflix. But you got a phone call from, from a brother or sister asking you for help. Like, and you couldn't say no, but you wanted to, but you didn't, and you, you went and helped anyway. And that, that's, that's labor. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it might be someone who's hurt or grieving, and you want to be there for them. You didn't have to, but you wanted to uh, because of love. And sometimes you might be the ones who, who, who's actually hurting, uh, but you still chose to love because you know how much God has first loved you. So you want to reflect his love, even though it's tough. You know, Jesus would have done the same. Labor, prompted by love, is something you go the, the extra mile to do and expecting nothing in return. Uh, finally, endurance inspired by the hope, by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian believers were not only sharing all the good and exciting things together, they endured all the suffering together. They were being countercultural together. Everyone else around them worshipped idols, but they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God together. Uh, I remember hearing the story of my granddad, mom's side. My granddad was the first Christian in his household. I remember hearing probably my uncles talking about this funky story. Uh, after he became a Christian, he went home and told my great-grandfather about him as a new Christian. He was very excited. But my great-grandfather was so angry. He tied my granddad up in a barn, uh, I think by, by a table, by a pole. Uh, and he told him, that he's not allowed to go back to, to his school, which was run by Christian missionaries at the time. That's how he came to know Christ. And, uh, and he was shunned and ridiculed by his own family because he's different now. He refused to burn incense or pray to the ancestors. He was a disgrace to his family because he, he now worships someone different. He worshiped Jesus. Uh, the funky thing was my great uncle. Later then secretly untied him and sent him off. Just just wrong, just wrong, back to your school. <laughs> and that my great uncle was the second Christian in, in that household. Um, when the Thessalonian believers suddenly stopped worshiping their idols, inevitably they stick out like sore thumbs. In fact, verse six tells us that they were in the midst of severe suffering. But they know those suffering meant nothing compared to what's to come. They long for the day when they will finally meet Jesus who rescues them from the coming wrath. It was the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who gives them joy that made it possible to endure. As a family, they were in it together supporting one another, bearing one another's burdens, sharing encouragement together. Isn't that great? The Thessalonian Christians had become a model to all believers, not only just 
all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, but to everyone in the surrounding regions at the time. And now, 2,000 years later, they are still modeling for churches around the world, for us. They have become a church which everyone, which every other church looks at and say, we want to be like them. We want to follow Jesus like, like they did. They are an example for what being Christians mean. Out of all the um, Google reviews I mentioned about earlier about St. John's, there's actually one negative review, one star review <laughs> from someone who visited two years ago. But I think that person in, in the review, the person said he or she didn't feel welcomed and uh, that person was quite bitter about that experience. And I don't think, if you, if you want to go search that review, do it later. I don't think what the person said in the review was fair, um, but it does help to make, a, to make us think. Are we convinced that we are God's beloved people, chosen by God, rescued by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit in whatever we say or do? Can you imagine in the future if the whole London, even the whole England, knows about St. John's, Dongshe Hill, and sees St. John's as a model church? Wouldn't that be exciting? Are we setting an example to other churches? Or would we be seen by, by outsiders or by other Christians as um, a bunch of people sitting on their ivory tower, giving thanks to God for, for the grace, you know, happy amongst ourselves, but failed to make God and his love known to the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for calling us to be your sons and daughters, making us one body in Christ. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ, who rescues us from your coming wrath. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in us to empower us and to make yourself known to us so we can know you more. And um, thank you for your Holy Spirit's power that also enable us to work and labor by faith and, and in your love and to be strengthened by you so that we can endure all life's challenges. Would you help us, Lord, to grow in our love for you so that we can also love each other? And when people see us, they can see you in the midst of us and that people will see the hope we have in you so that they might come to know you also and give you glory as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.